scripture reading this morning will be from Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 9 through 11. Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 9 through 11. That's on pages 638, if you're looking at the Pew Bible. O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up into the mountain, O Jerusalem. You who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength, lift it up, be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and his, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm, and he will carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those who are with young. Good morning. It is good to see you this morning. If you're a guest, we are thankful that you're here. We want to be an encouragement to you. You are definitely an encouragement to us. Uh, We are excited today. We're beginning a quarter-long study together where we're placing an emphasis upon wanting to learn more about God as our shepherd and what we should be as his sheep and even the responsibility that we have to shepherd each other and to truly answer the question that was asked very early in in human history, are we our brother's keeper? Yes. Lord tells us over and over, the answer to that is yes. And we want to do a better job of that because we love God and we want to be what he wants us to be. You'll notice throughout today that the elders' prayer that we traditionally call the elders' prayer that prays on behalf of all uh, that are sick, Uh, That'll be led tonight. Detailed announcements will be made tonight. But you'll also notice when you go into Bible class this morning that a class coordinator uh, will be taking prayer requests for you so that even more things and people that we need to be praying about will be prayed throughout all the classes this morning. And also very detailed announcements that pertain to you and your class will also be made in Bible class this morning. And we hope that this is a better way to communicate to each other and to give each other greater knowledge of what is happening and who needs our prayers and etc. And, uh, and also we hope that it does enrich our time of prayer and our life together interacting in each other's life. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The opening lines of probably the most popular chapter in all of the Bible. Over the next several weeks, we want to look at what that means. If the Lord is my shepherd, what does that mean? I feel like I have to preface this next statement with, I do not by any means mean to sound blasphemous when I ask this next question. I believe that God doesn't mind us asking sincere and genuine questions as long as we listen to Him for the answer. And so I ask the question, what credentials does God have to be my shepherd? What credentials does God have to be your shepherd? Should we swallow that one hook, line, and sinker? Or should we really pause, study deeply, and figure out if, in fact, He is worthy to be our shepherd. Because if He is our shepherd, that also places great responsibility upon us. Now we're owned. Now we are to be submissive. Now we receive all the blessings that the sheep 
of the great shepherd offer, but we also receive many responsibilities that the shepherd offers to his sheep. And so what credentials does the shepherd have? This very analogy of shepherding is beautiful. It's practical, and it shows a close relationship. Now, before you immediately say, ah, it does, think for just a moment, if we didn't have this kind of teaching, we would have a human being in what kind of relationship to an almighty God? We would have a lump of clay in what kind of relationship to a mighty maker? We would have a mortal in what kind of relationship with an eternal God. Isn't it awesome that God says over and over and over, I can put this in perspective. I know we're very different, God could say. God could say, I know I'm deity and I know that you're human. I know that I'm the creator and you're the creation. I know that that you're mortal and I know that that I'm eternal. But it's almost as if God is, is gently grabbing our shoulders and he's saying, but don't you see Don't you see how close I want you and I to be? Well, God, how how close do you want us to be? And he says, I want us to have that relationship that shepherds and sheep had with each other. I don't want a, a distant, fragmented relationship. I don't want a cold, authoritative, dictator style of relationship. He says, I want one where the one who owns the others lives right in the middle of them. And he laid down his life for them. And he provides for them daily in every way. This morning in Bible class, you will study the great 23rd Psalm. And I know I said it last week, but I beg you, go to a Bible class today. Your life is going to be enriched. What you learn today in class is going to bless your life. And you being among other Christians is going to bless your life. Go into a Bible class today and study the great 23rd Psalm where you're going to see that the shepherd provides, the shepherd protects That's what God wants to offer us as He lives right among us. But what does that look like in the study of Isaiah? Isaiah is an interesting and beautiful book. It's a rather long book. It's about 66 chapters and it's really broken up. It breaks itself up into two major sections. Verse Chapter 1 through 39 is section 1, and 40 through 66 is the second section. And because the sections are so different, many modern liberal scholars even try to say that Isaiah didn't write the second half of the book. But that second half of the book is quoted many times in the New Testament. And men like James and and men like Peter, they quoted out of the second section, and they said Isaiah was the one to write it. So you can decide if you want to listen to inspired apostles and inspired men, or if you want to listen to a modern-day liberal scholar about who wrote it, I would choose to stay with God on that one. And if God, through inspiration, if God said that Isaiah wrote it, I'm going to believe that Isaiah wrote it. Now, we're not studying this morning about who wrote Isaiah. The only reason I emphasize that to you is that the two are laid out very, very differently. Why? Not because they're different authors, but because the first section of the book is dealing with a very different time period in the lives of the people than the second section of the book. You see, the first section of the book was where Isaiah was weathering the storm. 
The first section of the book was when Judah, the southern kingdom, was weathering the storm. The Assyrians almost overtook them, but they didn't. And then chapter 40 comes. Now God is going to prepare them because of their wickedness, because they had stopped devoting their life, because they'd stopped walking as the sheep of the great shepherd, God was going to allow an enemy to overtake them. Babylon was going to come over. Now the question is, would God's people be totally destroyed? No, there would be a remnant of them that would be taken back into what we so frequently call Babylonian captivity. And for 70 years they would be there. And then eventually God would raise up another conqueror and his name was Cyrus and he would actually take over Babylon and he would be merciful and allow them to return back and to rebuild Jerusalem. And so that is the pivot, if you will. That is the change going into the second chapter in the second section in the 40th chapter. That's the change. It's to say, hey, let me give you the bad news, but also let me give you the good news. In the midst of this bad news is some very good news. God's people are going to survive this and God's people will continue to be upon this earth. And so with that in mind, for just a few moments of this lesson, really for several minutes now of this lesson, you're going to think we've abandoned the topic of shepherding. But at the very end of this lesson, I think you're going to see that it comes back together to make a very beautiful, Isaiah makes a beautiful point about the great shepherd. And, and we are studying this this morning to ask or to give an answer to that question, does God have credentials to be our shepherd? He has a proven track record. Look how he has shepherded lives and souls since the very beginning. And we're going to see how strong, how capable he is to provide and to protect if we choose to stay with him. So let's go back now and let's scan over some things in the 39th chapter of how the second section ends. In other words, here's the ending of the second section. Let's look at Isaiah, the 39th chapter, verse 5. That's page 638, the Bible that's in your pew, 638. Notice Isaiah said to Hezekiah, and Hezekiah would have been the king at that time, he says, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget. See, that's that remnant that they're going to take away. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord you have spoken is good, for he said, at least there will be peace and truth in my days. Now, if you go back and study this in comparison to Second Chronicles, when you say there at the end, why did he say this is good news? Well, the whole prophecy that was given to him was, yes, Babylon is coming, and yes, there'll be a remnant that remains. So that's the good news. The remnant's going to remain. But also the portion of good news was this was not going to happen in Hezekiah's day. It was going to happen after Hezekiah passed away. But what was it that was going to happen? See, this is why we have this shift in, our, in the book of Isaiah. We have this change of events. Now the rest of the book is going to be about the destruction, but also the hope that is found in God in the midst of this time of destruction as Babylon comes in and, and they destroy Jerusalem and they burn it and they, they just leave it in a, a heap of destruction and they take back the remnant. And so in the midst of all of this, is there anything good? Look how the very next verse reads. Isn't it interesting that the 40th chapter, this is how it begins. Comfort. Yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem. Some of your translations, and the literal here is, 
speak to the heart of the people. And cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So in the midst of all this destruction, God says, I want to give you some good news. This reminds me, coming out of the end of the 39th chapter, going to the beginning of the 40th chapter, reminds me so much of John, the 13th chapter, the end of it, going into the, 40, into the 14th chapter. Do you remember at the end of John, the 13th chapter, is where Peter was saying, Lord, I want to go with you wherever you're going. And he says, no, you can't go. He says, Lord, I go and I'd lay down my life. He says, no, you wouldn't lay down your life. And then Jesus drops that bombshell on him and says, matter of fact, you'll deny me three times before the rooster crows in the morning. And you can imagine how just the room would have, would have, the oxygen just would have been sucked out of the room. It would have been such a horrible moment. And you remember how the 14th chapter begins? Jesus' next words were, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In other words, Jesus was looking down the line beyond tomorrow. Peter, your heart's going to be ripped out tomorrow. You're going to wake up and you're going to realize that you denied me three times and you're going to be crushed. But don't lose faith. Down the road, you're going to see how all this is going to come back together. Why? Because I'm not leaving you for good. I'm coming back. Well, now we're in the 39th chapter and, and imagine how it ends right there. Hey, you're going to be destroyed as a people and you can imagine how could any good thing come out of this and God says, wait, wait. I want to comfort you. Don't let your heart be troubled. I want to comfort you. The idea of comfort is come along beside. He says, I want to come along beside you and I want to speak directly to your heart. I want to give you a message that you need to hear that even though all of these things are, are happening, God says, I'm already preparing a better way than this. Now, if we had all the time in the world, we could pause right now and think about tragedies that happen sometime in our life and to realize God can already start preparing a way through the tragedy before the tragedy ever gets there. Do you look for God's way? How powerful is that? Before Babylon ever came, God was saying, I'm preparing a way for you to endure through this. Is he worthy to be your shepherd? Look at these verses of preparation, and if you know the Scriptures well, you're going to recognize these, maybe not from Isaiah 40, but you're going to say, that sounds a whole lot like the preparation that John the Baptist was for the coming of the Messiah. And that's where these are quoted from oftentimes. Look at verse 3 and just think about God's preparation. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight. The rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Is he worthy? The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What is he saying here? He's saying, look, listen to me. You're about to go through some horrific times. What would those horrific times look like? The destruction of Jerusalem. So many people will die. A small remnant will be taken back and they will live as exiles and, and, and they will live under captivity. And even during the time that they're there, there will be an upheaval of that government. The Persians will come in. And then even when Cyrus says, okay, you can go back. Friends, they're traveling back by foot, an 800-mile journey back. We're not talking about anything easy. And what are they going back to? Oh, nice, beautiful townhomes. They're going back to, to nice, beautiful temple for them to worship in. No. 
They're going back to a Jerusalem that is destroyed, a temple that has to be built back. A wall. Remember? Nehemiah, the wall has to be totally built back. Look, they're going to be going through some difficult times. And what does God say? God says, if you'll lean on me, I'm preparing a way so that you can take those valleys in life and I'll make them not so deep. And those hills that's so hard to climb, I'll bring them down lower. And those crooked paths that are so hard to travel, God says, I'll make them straight. Those rough, rough places, he says, I can smooth them out. Those are almost exact quotes from everything we just read. What is God saying? God says, I can prove to you that I can take care of you. Listen, it was their sin and leaving the shepherd that got them in this mess. And God is saying, if you will let me be your God, I can smooth things out for you. And this is all before the Babylonians ever come. That's how awesome, all-knowing, and powerful our shepherd is. Did you notice the end of 5? He says, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What does that mean to you? Does that mean it's as good as done? It should. Because that's what it means. And he makes it very clear in the next following verses. Listen to this enduring word of God. Verse 6. The voice said cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? And this is what God wants to make sure everybody knows. All flesh, that's you and me as humans, is grass. What does he mean by that? And all his loveliness is like the flower of the field. Let's pause there. Have you ever seen a a beautiful little girl? And you say, she is as pretty as a flower. That's biblical. You see a beautiful flower, You see a beautiful little girl, and God says, you're right. And you know what? Both of them are temporary. What is enduring? Verse 7, the grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. In other words, the people are going to wither away also. Well, Lord, what can we depend upon? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Jerusalem, you think you're so great? Babylon's coming. Babylon, you think you're so great? Cyrus is coming. God, is there anything consistent on this earth? My word endures forever. Is he worthy? Is he worthy to be your shepherd? Has he proven a track record? As a matter of fact, if you need a little more proof, how awesome is this? When he said Babylon was coming... And Cyrus would rise up and let them come back and rebuild. He said that a hundred years before it ever happened. Before Cyrus was even in control. Think how awesome that is. To not only predict that Jerusalem is going to be overtaken, and then the one that's going to let them come back is not even the one in power when they overtake them. There's so many dimensions of that prophecy that when it all comes true over the next hundred years, all we can say Praise be to God, His Word endures forever. He tells the truth every time, whether He's talking about something past, something present, or even something future. Okay, brethren, I'll be honest with you. I told Tracy, I said, I studied way too much for this lesson. It got me behind on so many things this week. I just got so excited. This is what I got excited about, okay? Look look how this next section goes. Look in verse 9. 
He says, O Zion. Now notice, this is his word, O Zion. You who bring good tidings, get up into the high mountain, O Jerusalem. You who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Now, do you see all of this is setting up for this? He tells them about their destruction, but he says, I want to comfort you. And I want you to know that I prepared the way. And I want you to know that if I say something, it is fixed in stone. It's going to happen that way. And so now he says, Jerusalem, in other words, holy people, they should have been holy people, they weren't at that moment, but he's saying to them, Jerusalem, I've got a message that I want you to state. Okay, God, what, what, do, you want, what do you want me to do? He says, no, no, not from there. I want you to get up in a mountain. No, not that mountain. I want you to get up in the high mountain. Okay, God, what, what do you want us to state from this high mountain? No, I want you to lift up your voice. I want you to do it with strength. I don't want you to be ashamed or afraid. God, what do you want us to do? I want you to get on that mountain and I want you to say, Behold. In other words, here is my God. Can you stand on the mountain of life? Does it, does it shout out in everything that you do in life, The Lord is my shepherd. Behold, look at my God. Look at Him. I can't hide Him. He's too great to hide. He's so powerful. He's such a provider. His words are truth every time. And then lest we wonder, is He worthy of that? The next two verses tell us what we are supposed to behold about our God. Okay, so we're going to shout it from the mountaintops that He's our God. But what is it about Him in this setting that He wants us to know? And look with me, if you will, in verse 10. See, He's still using the word behold. This is what we're supposed to notice. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and His army shall rule for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His work is before Him. Now, notice there. What was His strong hand? hand and what was his arm that ruled we don't have time and we may come back tonight to do this a little more but we're going to flip through two slides and I want you to notice when we look in Exodus the sixth chapter this is before the children of Israel were led out of Egyptian slavery by Moses and if you'll notice there when they were being led out God recorded it and said it was going to be by a strong hand by a strong arm that leads them out in other words Pharaoh was considered the most powerful leader of that day you know who was greater the hand of God Pharaoh was going to let those people go. Let that sink in. There was no doubt about it. Pharaoh didn't believe it. It took him ten plagues to believe it. But you know what? God said the people were coming out. Now it was the question of who's the stronger. The hand of God has always ruled mankind. And when several years later, 40 years later... In the book of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy, the 26th chapter, Moses is reminding the children of Israel. They're standing on the side of Jordan, and he reminds them again. And in this same setting, he says the same thing again. It's by the strength of his hand. It's by the arm of God. The hand is strong, 
and the arm rules not only lives, his arm rules nations. You better believe he has the credentials to be our shepherd. Now we're back to this question. What kind of relationship are you and I supposed to have with somebody who is so strong that he can move armies and he can defeat the most powerful nations this earth has ever known? What kind of relationship are we supposed to have with him? We're standing on the mountaintops and we're proclaiming, look how strong and powerful my God is. And God says, but wait, it's not just about strength and power. It's about how much I love you. Let's close with this next verse. Look at verse 11. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm. Remember his arm in the previous verse ruled over nations. And now notice what his arm's going to do. And carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. This strong hand and this mighty arm is going to come up to us as sheep and say, let me give you pasture, water. Let me nourish you. Let me, let me gather the, the lambs. You know, we, we've got an 800-mile journey to go back to rebuild Jerusalem, and those lambs aren't going to be able to walk 800 miles on their own. I tell you what, let me gather them and hold them against my chest. God, how do you want us to see you? I want you to see me like a shepherd that just sits down in the field with the sheep and provides what they need. And I don't just drag them along on a leash and I don't just tuck them under an arm. I hold them real close. And even when I see those who are in more delicate situations in life, I see the you that she is, she's got a lamb in her womb or she's got a newborn lamb by her side. She's not going to have the strength and to be able to carry out everything as, as if everything is normal. And you know what? God says, I'm going to gently lead her. Do you see the picture that God's painting? All of the verses before, he's painted this picture that says, you want a warrior? You line up with me, and I guarantee you we can conquer any enemy. I can go into Babylon, and I can rip her to shreds. I can rise up Persia, and I can tear her down. You want a warrior? Line up with me. Shout it from the mountaintops. And just know, I'll never use my strength to hurt you. All I want to do is I want to protect you from the enemy. And I want to provide for you. And I want to hold you close to my chest. I want to take you home. You don't belong in captivity. You belong at home. And the greatest shepherd greatest shepherd that's ever been has a warrior's heart. He'll fight for his people. According to John 10, 
He'll lay down his life for his people. This morning, it's fair. It's no problem to ask, does God have the credentials to be my shepherd? But when you ask that question, listen to him. He's been spending thousands of years proving he's got the credentials. I hope over this quarter that you and I love our shepherd and we become and are his sheep in every way. This morning, if we can help you with that, if you need to be immersed into Christ, if you need to be rededicated, if there's anything that we can do to help you, come as we stand, as we sing.